2: Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred GAMBLER.
3: Another episode of film study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, today we continue our AFC North camp previews. So uh, today we're going to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals, the defending champs. And joining us to do that is Jake Liskow. Jake, how you doing? I'm
4: doing well, Ken. Defending champs. How about that? Defending AFC champs. Just take a second to
3: brag before it'll be a dogfight in the AFC this year. There you go. There you go. Uh, certainly a very big year for the Bengals. And uh, they took it right down to the wire against the Rams. A little too much AD at the end of it. But uh, he uh, Burrow certainly uh, proved his mettle, I think, by by taking all the hits he did last season and still having a very big year. And uh, let's let's talk about the Bengals and where they enter camp now uh, after a, a fairly big offseason for them.
4: Yeah, a lot more free agent spending has been a bit of a trend under Zach Taylor instead of on the defensive side of the ball this time, though, replacing departed tight end CJ Uzama with Hayden Hurst. And we'll see what the former first rounder still has in the tank as he's really still trying to prove that he should have been picked in the first round. And of course, we all know that tight ends can take a while sometimes. But uh, former Raven there, and the big ones are Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, and Lyle Collins, who should be significantly better than mm-hmm. the men previously playing those positions.
3: All right. The, uh, the previous administration is somehow out That's wonderful. Uh, let's, let's start with the draft. Uh, that's always a good place to, to start. I know free agency takes place before it. Uh, but right at the top of the draft, a, a, a player who was frequently mocked to the Bengals was the Ravens' 25th pick, Tyler Linderbaum. Uh, any pangs of regret when that pick I made?
4: I don't know if there were pangs of regret. At some point early in the process, I thought the Ravens would pick Linderbaum, like around the combine maybe or before the combine, because he didn't test at the combine. But there was some point before he tested when I thought, very clearly in my mind that the Ravens would pick Tyler Linderbaum that one did not surprise me Kyle Hamilton making it to the part of the draft where the Ravens could pick him that that's a very Ravens pick it seems like they frequently identify and and pounce on the opportunity to take consensus guys later than their consensus was and that's why they tend to draw a lot of praise and it has worked out for them quite a bit obviously but Uh, The Linderbaum pick for me personally was expected. So it wasn't a huge feeling. It was just a, of course, that happened.
3: I I look at this and Billy Price, of course, drafted by the Bengals several years ago, 2019, 2018, whenever it was. I know he's gone now. Uh, But, you know, you look at the other first round centers that have been drafted that like Linderbaum and it does not give you a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's Garrett Bradbury, and Billy Price, who are the shorter arm guys. The longer arm guys have all been good who've, who've mm-hmm. been drafted in the first round. Now, I'm, I'm well aware that's not the only important characteristic, but the, the scouting reports between Perry and, uh, and Linderbaum are scarily similar. And I'm wondering that the Bengals, having been burned on price in the past, if there was a significant component of the fan base there who didn't really want to see Linderbaum anyway. There was a component
4: of the fan base, but the Bengals were certainly out As far as I understand it, they were not interested, even if he were available at pick 31, that, that is my belief. I think there were some in the building that would have been comfortable with him. Many who were not comfortable with him at that spot. So the career of Tyler Linderbaum will be much watched with much interest. I think from, from many Bengals fans, because if he does work out and he's a very different prospect from Billy price, Bengals fans will probably have
3: feelings about it. All right. All right. Well, you never want a, a, a good player in your division otherwise. You always want their first round right. draft pick to fail. But uh, Daxton Hill, now the, the first round draft pick the Ravens are, are rooting for to fail, of course. Someone I would have loved for the Ravens to get at 45. Didn't really think he would last that long. Uh, and he didn't. He went at 31 and on, the, on uh, to the Bengals. The very first.
4: Player that we mocked to the Bengals when we went through our mock draft simulators on locked on Bengals way back before the draft, a month before the draft, because the Bengals made a Super Bowl run. We didn't get to do mock drafts in December this year. They had to wait until much later, which was fun for me as a person covering the team, but was Dax Hill. That was the first pick that we mocked, the first player we mocked to the Bengals at 31 because so frequently. In the mocks leading up to the draft, all the players that looked promising were getting picked over, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what happened this this time, to, or, or in the real draft as well. the The quick run on corners toward the end of the first round. The the there weren't really defensive linemen picked in that area that that looked like a good fit. So the guys that you were maybe hoping as as a Bengals supporter or or if you are the Bengals would be available just didn't quite make it George Carloft is going one pick before mm-hmm. Devontae Wyatt who for me was very divisive going just a couple picks before Jermaine Johnson 26 there are a number of guys in that range that that were very appealing and I I thought they might just pick a corner anyway I don't think Roger McCreary was on their board for for measurable reasons but I thought Kyler Gordon was very much in play there I thought Arnold Evichetti was very much in play there Mm -hmm. I wasn't shocked by Dax Hill I thought safety could be in play certainly but I thought that was I thought they were going to be higher on Kyler Gordon Logan Hall Arnold Evichetti and and I thought maybe they would go that way even Andrew Booth who had some serious medical medical stuff that wasn't public um I thought maybe that would be the case but I didn't know about the medical stuff until after
3: the draft. A lot a lot of people uh were very high on Booth and I, I thought the medical was enough to drop him pretty significantly and uh the guy, the guy was of interest that the Ravens I think could have drafted is Kair Elam. Is he a guy that the Bengals were hoping would have drafted at 31? Yeah, I think that was the ideal pick by consensus
4: certainly was I think the the, the best fit apparently that that could have been in play but Going to Buffalo at 23, via a a pick that Baltimore owned at some point, of Mm -hmm. course, was uh, probably, you know, I wouldn't say it was unexpected. When Trent McDuffie made it to 21, I thought, okay maybe, maybe there's a chance. And then George Karloftis was another guy that I would have been thrilled with because the Bengals could use some help in terms of pass rush. But Dax Hill is a piece that, that should be very versatile. He should play in a lot of three-safety sets this year. I think that's something Luana Ruma wants to do a lot of. And Jesse Bates
3: is not going to be a Cincinnati Bengal in 2023. And so he has a year to learn and grow. So are, are you expecting Dax Hill to be a back-end guy primarily? Or do you, or I mean, one of the great things about Dax Hill is he could be a guy who could play the slot. And if, if the Ravens had gotten him, I'm pretty sure that's where he'd be playing.
4: Yeah, I think as a rookie, he's going to probably play a lot in the slot. I think he will have opportunities to play deep because there were times that Von Bell played deep for the Bengals, of course. That's the nature of NFL safety right now. You have to line up in a number of different places and be pretty versatile. But I think Dax Hill is incredibly versatile. I also think he has the athleticism and and a lot of the skills that he could have, could need to play outside corner before they drafted Cam Taylor Britton the second round. I thought... It wouldn't shock me if Dax Hill tries to play some outside corner, similar to Leon Hall, another Michigan defensive back who came to the Bengals via the first round of the draft. Of course, Leon Hall was a corner, but I mm-hmm. thought Dax Hill's skill set and testing and fluidity, there's there's obviously a lot to translate from playing inside to outside, but or, or a lot to the, that doesn't translate, I should say, but I think he's going to be playing kind of the the super versatile safety position in a lot of three safety stuff. I I do
3: think a lot of three safety sets are coming for the Bengals this year. So the Ravens are a team that lines up in a lot of 12 and some 13. If they line up in 12 against the Bengals, would you expect Dax Hill to be up on a tight end or one of the safeties at least to be up on a tight end in a, in a big nickel look?
4: I mean, are they going to be in a nickel look against their team personnel? I Doubt it. No, against 12, I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying really 12 against 12. Yeah. M- maybe. That would be an interesting cool. way to use him. I do think that they like his ability to, to cover from mm-hmm. the, the middle of the field. I think that would be a good way to use him. I don't know if the Bengals will put an extra defensive back on the field against 12 personnel against the Ravens, though. Okay. I, is- I, I, it, would be, it would be interesting, Lou Anarimo has shown I think a bit more pro- proclivity to interesting blitz packages and timing those up and uh, I think there's a bigger emphasis on coverage but I, I would have to go back and look, I, I think they wanted to do a lot more three safety stuff last year and I don't think we got to see it deployed the way Lou Rumo wanted to deploy it because Ricardo Allen was hurt so much and he didn't trust the
3: other safeties I mean, if it depends on your safeties, obviously. But three safety looks. There's there's two major usage for them. Number one is when the other team plays twelve personnel, you put in big nickel and three safeties, two corners. Or number two, you play a, a third safety in a dime package where he replaces your weak side linebacker. So I mean, if the Ravens are now in this position right now, where they have three safeties or three of their best defensive players, and they they're certainly going to have to try and figure out how to get them on the field as as much as possible. Uh, I, I would just think if, if the Bengals are in that position, that the, the obvious way to get Hill additional staffs or to get the total safety snaps increased would be to, would be to bring him on against 12 against 12. Yeah.
4: It's not what they did last year. They were more of the big dime, three safety okay. dime sets, but you do make a good point there about the, the parallel Chuck Clark, Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Williams, Von Bell, Jesse Bates, Dax Hill. It's a, a couple of strong safety groups there on paper at least but mm-hmm. I, the Bengals last year it was a big dime thing it wouldn't shock me if that's the case again but like I said I don't know that we saw the full extent of what LuAnnaroma wanted to do with his big with his three safety sets last year just because of the injuries mm-hmm. that occurred and also I think they really like their linebackers mm-hmm. I think they really like Logan Wilson I think they feel like he's going to be one of the better linebackers in the NFL and Depending on who you ask, he's kind of in that fringe in the top 25, maybe, maybe higher, depending on who you ask. If you ask Doug Farrar, he's an honorable mention for a top 11 linebacker in the league. I think that's a little rich, but he did have a a nice playoff run playing with an injured shoulder. But I think they really like Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, and Akeem Davis Gaither in his third year has been able to stay healthy, but is a hyper-athletic smaller overhang kind of linebacker who's trying to translate from Appalachian state to the NFL. So it'll depend on how those guys are playing. I think early in the season and, and how uh, how Dax Hills translation to the NFL transition to the NFL is going. And so I expect that that will develop over the course of the year.
3: Okay. Okay. All right. Outstanding. Uh, Cam Taylor, the second pick, uh, kind of an aircraft carrier size corner six. he's an only really an outside guy as I would see it. And, and as I looked at him in the draft, you see him that way, not a guy you moved to the slot.
4: Yeah. I think that he will challenge Eli Apple to play corner alongside Shadobe Abouzier for the Bengals. He, he is an outside corner. I think a hundred percent. I think that he could play a little bit of safety too from a, from a, athletic traits perspective. When you look at the way he moves, it looks like something he would be okay at. You see a little bit of stiffness and this is something that doesn't seem to bother the Bengals because they made that big investment in Trey Waynes. And injury aside, just as a a player, willing tackler, good run defender, fast, straight line fast, change of direction issues, tight hips. I think Cam Taylor-Britt has some of those traits as well. I think he does some things really well, though, to play outside corner. And you know, we've talked about this on Lockdown Bengals as well with one of our one of our regular guests, Mike Santagata. You know, good patience, good recognition, good drive downhill. But sometimes you'll see that that transition, that change of direction, he'll lose his balance a little bit. So so that's okay. where it's a little touch and go with him. I think is is the balance primarily, but. Seems like a great character guy from what I understand. Seems like a, a ball of energy who would be a vocal leader if he is in a leadership position for this team. So I'm excited to see his future as well because, because of some of the personality traits and to see how that settles in. And, and to also see how, how his uh, athleticism translates from college to the NFL. Always fun to see how these traits manifest once the game speeds up a little bit and everybody's a little bit better,
3: yeah, it is one of the fun things to see. Even in camp, I love the preseason games. I know a lot of people really don't, but I like even watching the second half of preseason when it's you're not. You, you, it may be your future stars versus grocery baggers, and it's still fun to watch. Uh, anyway, to me, yeah. Take, take us through the rest of the draft here in rounds three through seven in terms of the other players they uh, the Bengals drafted. Yeah, really
4: shows that they're picking at the end of the round. I think all the picks are, are there's an adjustment for Bengals fans, right? This is literally the latest they've ever picked. They, the, the last time they went to a Super Bowl, there were many fewer teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So picking 31st is, is a bit of, of some getting used to. But Zach Carter in the third round from Florida played a lot of edge for them. And, and the rest of these guys are all on the older side. Which I, which I thought was pretty interesting. Zach Carter's 23, just, uh, just turned 23 before the draft. And like I said, played a lot of end, I think, at Florida. I think he was maybe miscast there a little bit at 290. I think he's going to play inside for the Bengals. And I think that in large part because there's no one else to play three-tech on the roster. There's BJ Hill, and I don't know who else is playing three-tech. DJ Reader is one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL. He has chronically been disrespected by Pro Bowl voters, by people that rank top interior defensive linemen. Uh, The list goes on. He's just a nose tackle with a little bit of juice. And because he's a nose tackle, you you know how it is with with nose tackles in the NFL, right? Uh, So I think Zach Carter is going to have all the opportunity in the world to get rotational snaps at three tech.
3: I see see Zach Carter listed at 277 pounds. Is that where you think he is or is he or did he is that like a i slim down for the combine to try and run is three one hundredths of a second faster kind of a weight is that what he weighed at the combine now i don't know where, where it's from i'm looking at pro football reference to get that number uh but they have them at six four two seventy seven which that is a that would be a very wiry frame for a, a three tech it's that's more of a normal kind of a five tech get your hands up size uh, uh and but, but uh, that's If he's on the field at the same time as B.J.
4: Hill, I think that's where he would be. But B.J. Hill will need a break at some point. And then someone else will have to play three Tech. I think he will add weight. I think, you know, he he kind of is a classic tweener. But I think profiles to the inside, at least I think that's what the Bengals' vision for him was. And now I'm having a hard time finding an accurate weight for him as well. I I saw a number that clearly must be wrong
3: and uh, now am confused. Okay, no problem. I I will check it with one other place while you tell us about the rest of the draft picks. Yeah, in
4: the fourth round, the Bengals go back to small school, much like Hakeem Davis Gaither in 2020 from Appalachian State. They go to North Dakota State, who dominates their level of college football. But that level of college football is far from the SEC. Cordell Volson played tackle. He is another older player. I believe he's 24 and maybe turning 25 shortly, so very much on the older side for a rookie, but is going to transition to the interior for the Bengals. Has a lot to like on tape. Plays with some good power. Plays with a mean streak. Shows some pretty solid developed technique, as you would hope, for a guy coming out of North Dakota State and uh, with as many years at that level as he had. Again, older prospect. And North Dakota State has produced some solid NFL players. So Mm -hmm. You know, don't don't discard him just because of the school he went to is all we'll say there. But I do think that there's so, some work to do for him. I'm not really expecting him to push Jackson Carmen for a starting job at left guard this year. But he has the work ethic. He has the maturities. So he has those things, but not the athleticism or the pedigree that Jackson Carmen had coming out of high school and that Jackson Carmen hypothetically could possess might be a little bit more dedicated to his craft. So we'll see how that right. plays out. But I, I think he'll be in the mix at least, pushing and, and kind of nipping at the heels. But I, I do think that he needs a little bit of seasoning despite his age coming into
3: the league. All right. I have Zach Carter at 282 per draft scout, which has his combine number. So, But anyway, yeah. let's let's keep moving here. Do we need to talk about, about either uh, Tyson Anderson or uh, Jeffrey Gunter? I think Tyson Anderson will
4: make the team. So I think that he's he's interesting enough in that capacity, played a ton of special teams at Toledo and was probably a Darren Simmons special teams coordinator draft pick, probably will play a lot of special teams for the Bengals. I think that he will push for a very interesting safety roster battle. It's going to be Jesse Bates, assuming he shows up and I'm having a hard time believing that he won't. But you never know. It's going to be Jesse Bates, Von Bell, Dax Hill, and a guy. I don't think they're going to keep five safeties, even if Dax Hill is a versatile piece. Maybe they do. Maybe they surprise me. But they've been pretty comfortable with their veterans there in the past. And now there's going to be a little bit more competition there. And a lot of that's because of Tyson Anderson. And I think they traded up to get him as well. So they are clearly excited for Tyson Anderson. Jeff Gunter, I don't know how much we need to get into Jeff Gunter. They dipped into the Coastal Carolina Full of talent quite a bit in the seventh round and then in college free agency, Tyriques Tisdale and Javon Hiley, also Coastal Carolina guys that the Bengals scooped up as college free agents. So I think that the Bengals, this is just an interesting little tidbit, believe that the track that they ran on at Coastal Carolina's pro day was slow. Ooh, and that, that would
3: explain the Isaiah Likely number.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the things that we talked about. I I think they thought that that track was slow. And so some of the numbers like Javon Hiley, who was incredibly productive, and a lot of people liked him as a late round flyer wide receiver, didn't test well. But the Bengals believe that
3: none of them tested well, and that those numbers can be adjusted. Well, fantastic. I mean, I think we can both agree that's a, that's a good thing for our teams. Uh, it, it likely has been one of the stars of OTA so far for mm. the Ravens. And uh, one thing in, in watching him, I mean, he's not a 4 8 guy. I mean, he's just not a 4 8 guy if you look at him on, on tape. And sometimes you can't always tell straight line speed because you're, you're losing it with other change of direction skills and whatnot. But I mean, Likely it just plays faster than that. Yeah, some guys just move well, and it's obvious. All right. Well, let's let's move on to free agency, and obviously some some significant moves this year for the Bengals. And, and in the last couple of years, Trey Hendrickson
4: last year. Come on, they no, they've no, they been making day. moves. Cheeto Cheeto who just won the NFL chess tournament. I don't know if you followed that at all. That I was did not cool. hear that. That's impressive. They they had a six man chess tournament on chess.com and Cheeto beat Amari Cooper in the final. And they used to Amari play chess Cooper together. He's one of them. Mark Cooper oh, right. and Cheeto played a ton of chess when they played when they played together in Dallas.
3: Are they speed chess players, or, or what's yeah. the nature of the games that they're playing? Okay.
4: Yeah, they were playing rapid games in the tournament with uh, blitz mm-hmm. r- blitz uh, tiebreakers. So rapid is ten minute with five second intervals. Blitz is three minute with five second intervals. I think was a the format they were playing. And okay. uh, Cheeto, I think, has played like. 3,500, 4,000 blitz games on chess.com. Amari Cooper has played like huh. 5,000 games on chess.com. So they play a lot of online chess, both of them. Okay. Wow. So anyway, you always got something to do. This year's free agency, another notable free agency class for the Bengals. This time on the other side of the ball, though, the, the fans of this football team have been begging the Bengals to invest in their offensive line and free agency for three years. Two years at the very, very least. But when Joe Burrow was clearly going to be the draft pick, the Bengals didn't invest enough in the offensive line, and then he tore his ACL. And then they didn't invest enough in the offensive line again. They signed Riley Reef, who was serviceable, and then he got hurt. And then Joe Burrow, he played through a ton of injuries. Mm-hmm. Sprained MCL, dislocated pinky. Uh, what was the Super Bowl injury played through? Wouldn't, wouldn't even get medical attention. And uh, he and Stafford both gritting it out. And finally, the Bengals make some moves. The first announced move of free agency was Alex Kappa. The first Schefter tweet after the tampering period opened was, the Bengals have agreed to terms with Alex Kappa. And I was sitting there like, okay, we'll see the Bengals tomorrow. I was refreshing just in case. And then the very first one. I think that tells you something about the team's intention. They knew that it wasn't good enough. And you you watch the Super Bowl. It's very obvious that it wasn't good enough. You watch the Titans game, even for the people that like to blame Joe Burrow for the sacks Joe Burrow takes, the offensive line wasn't good enough. And so Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, a couple of guys that have been, I think, ascending players for the better part of their careers. Uh, Kappa certainly taking a little bit of time to adjust as he was also coming from a small school in Humboldt State, but got better by most accounts, every year in Tampa, played with Tom Brady. Some some good experience there. Ted Karras played with Tom Brady. Has some position versatility, but well played center for this team unless somebody really surprises us and pushes him out to guard, but he's going to play center. And then Lyle Collins comes to town. The Bengals, you know, fans wanted them to trade for him when it was clear that he was available. That was the prize of, of the offseason season that Bengals fans wanted. And it just makes so much sense because he played with Frank Pollock when he came into the league in Dallas. And Frank Pollock really liked Collins. And so he comes to town and he has this incredibly dramatic free agency visit, which was hilarious. And fans spotted him at the mall while his agent <laughs> negotiated with the Bengals front office. And there were all these pictures floating around. And then there were reports that he was leaving to go visit Miami, but he never left. He actually never, like, had plans to leave. And so not sure where those reports came from. Some um, misinformed or misinterpreted, perhaps, reporting there. But that was a big get. I think Bengals fans are really excited. There has to be some hope that these guys stay healthy because if they don't stay healthy, last year's starters are starting again. Isaiah Prince, Deontay Smith, Hakeem Energy, Trey Hill, these are the backups. These are the guys that played some time and struggled for for most of that time last year, although Deontay Smith was hurt as a rookie, and I am excited for his future just because he has 35-inch arms and, and he uses them. He plays with that length. But for Frank Pollock, he's finally got I think the offensive line of his choosing, he has guys that he wanted to execute his running scheme the way he wants. And for Joe Mixon, whose best years in his career have come with Frank Pollock coaching the Bengals. This is by far the best run blocking offensive line he's ever been behind.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Lyle Collins now a few days from being turning twenty nine. Uh, it's not the ideal. It's not a young free agent by by any sense of the sense of the word. Uh, certainly has played well. Uh, his time in Dallas was terrific, but uh, also not a terribly expensive tackle for the market at three years for twenty one million.
4: Yeah, and it's a bit of an interesting contract as well. When you really get into the details of it, there it's it's heavily incentive laden okay and a lot of that is tied to health some of it is tied to pro bowls but it, it, it's crazy to me how much it's a bet on yourself contract and i think it was it, it ends up being a little bit more uh more expensive than it appeared when it was first reported but a lot of it is in incentives so so that is quite interesting to see if he does hit those incentives so yeah under contract until he's 31 he's he's missed a lot of time in the nfl some of that for injury some of that for suspension so that's going to be something to watch and that's probably part of the reason the price was what what is
3: uh it's it's just it's considering that the ravens just last year signed uh for two years 16 million and it had a one-year, ten-million-dollar out. And I'm looking at Lowell Collins' contract. And admittedly, there, you know there are a different set of circumstances that that exist. But Lowell Collins has a one-year, eight-million-dollar out on this deal. I mean, it, that's a remarkably cheap way to get out of this deal if something were to go wrong. If the Bengals are not who they think they are this year, in terms mm-hmm. of you know having other problems uh, that that uh, need to be addressed more broadly. But that's just a remarkable. Uh, contract price. I'm looking at that and just shaking my head in terms of of how did this occur when year after year we seem to find tackle markets that are just almost as bad as the wide receiver market this year. Well, I mean, you can you can even look at Taron uh, Armstead's
4: contract in Miami, also not quite as high as expected. I think considering his his skill level, but both guys having recent injury issues. Well, Collins missed a year with the hip, mm-hmm. got suspended the next year. And that's probably part of why he wore out his welcome in Dallas, you know, rightly or wrongly. That certainly seems like something that would have contributed. So um, I do think that he's excited to be back with Frank Pollock. I think those two guys really like each other. And I'm excited to watch him run block because he's a mauler. And he and Alex Kappa beside each other. That's a lot of power on the right side and should generate a lot of movement. I think Joe Mixon's excited. I think Frank Pollock's excited. I think the run game should be better. And more consistent. And I think they'll also pass block better. That's obviously really important when you have a guy that took 80,000 sacks last year like Joe Burrow did. But the, the primary strength for Lyle Collins is certainly his run blocking. And I think that he's a great fit with what Frank Pollock wants to do from an athleticism perspective. Kappa was a surprising signing for me from a scheme fit perspective. Um, doesn't move laterally as well as you might want for a wide zone team, but has a lot of power and moves well enough probably that he'll be fine. And, and those two guys on combo blocks should just be a lot of fun.
3: That's a lot of torque. Right. I, I, I'll just say this. I'm an offensive line guy. You probably read my stuff at some point in terms of the offensive line scoring, but uh, it's massively overstated how much players need to be a scheme fit for what a team does you know bringing in Linderbaum to to be a small guy among the massive elephants will have yeah. a lot of benefits he'll he 'll be fine on double teams he 'll resolve them quickly with bigger players. I think he 'll get out in front in a level two he 'll be that one screen blocker that the Ravens can often get out into space and and uh, you know there's a lot of there's just a lot of value to having somebody who 's got a, a somewhat different skill set. I am mightily concerned about who he is against players like DJ Reader. Who had the chance to extend against him, but uh, but that's another matter entirely.
4: Yeah, tough tough division to not have long arms at center yep. and like a, a, some good size at center with like Cam Hayward and and DJ Reader. The Browns luckily don't have anybody, literally any defensive tackles on the rosters as as far as I know. And uh, <laughs> so it's only two of the AFC North teams, but there's some really good interior players in the division.
3: Right, you got Campbell would give a lot, a lot of trouble to interior to centers who are short armed uh, in terms of being a across the face guy. He doesn't have to come from the nose to do it. Oftentimes, uh, being offset like that actually mm-hmm. lets them get extended. So yeah, all right, let's let's move on. Uh, other uh, any other free agency? Could we start with position groups?
4: Uh, Hayden Hurst is is an interesting one. I'm going to be very curious to see how he's deployed. He doesn't block like CJ Uzama. You, you guys obviously know him well in Baltimore from his time there before, you know, the, the better tight end in that draft class uh, forced him out of town. But I I think that it sounds like he has a chip on his shoulder. It'll be really interesting to see how that plays out on the field. He's, he and the coaches have both been synced up with talking about the kind of plan he has or they have for him that they, they have to deploy him. He's talked a lot about just needing the opportunity to, to prove that he was worth that draft capital that was spent on him. So I, I always find it interesting when guys sign the one year approval deals and feel like they have a lot to prove uh, and, and have that chip on their shoulder. But he doesn't play in line the way CJ Uzama could play in line. And so. He will be used differently than C.J. Uzama was used. There may be more opportunity for Drew Sample then to get on the field in his capacity, which has not been as a receiver to date, and he's in the last year of his deal as well. But I, I think that the tight end position is a bit of a concerning spot at this point. The Jets signed two guys that the Bengals probably were interested in, and C.J. Uzama, who they wanted back, and Tyler Conklin, and Hayden Hurst was... An okay consolation prize who has a fit, but
3: will be different. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it works out. I'll just say for Ravens fans who were disappointed with Hayden Hurst's two years with Baltimore, he's now on the verge of being 29 years old on opening day. And that was one of the big things about him, you know, coming out of school late and whatnot, that that people did not like that in Baltimore. But he was he was terrific. In his two years in Baltimore, relative to what he ended up doing in Atlanta for two years. Uh, and particularly in terms of yards per target, even though he had a great catch rate of almost 84% last year, he still averaged only 7.1 yards per target. And uh, that's not going to get it done in the NFL, certainly not a tight end. Uh, he was 8.3 in two years with Baltimore. And uh, that is, just to put it simply, the most important receiving statistic is, is your yards per target. So uh, if you can only have one. So. Uh, Really, a, a player who, who the Ravens, fortunately, I think, got out of and, and sold high on, even though it didn't really seem like they recovered all that much of their first-round draft pick uh, capital they spent on him.
4: Yeah, I mean, he's only really had one season as a featured tight end. And that was his first year in Atlanta, right? Because he's competing with other tight ends in Baltimore, and then Kyle Pitts comes along his second year in Atlanta. So I think he's excited to be a featured tight end again, but you're absolutely right about the age because so many tight ends in the NFL, it takes them until they're set, like so many tight ends. You don't see anything from them until their second contract or toward the end of their first contract. And that's where Hayden Hurst is in terms of his duration of time in the NFL. But he's also not in that place as far as age. So we'll, we'll see what they get out of him as a feature tight end.
3: How do you evaluate a draft pick? I mean, for, for me, I'm just going to throw this out there. If the guy doesn't do it on the first contract, whether he works out as a player or not, the, the draft pick, generally speaking, did not work out. Usually that same team does not have him after the initial period. If you do have him, you have him at market value. You don't have him at the at the cheap value, which is why you draft somebody. You draft them for their cheap years. Yeah. So I, I I can't look at the Hayden Hurst pick and say, okay, maybe he's going to develop into a player on the second contract. He's a one-contract player when they when the Ravens took him. In, yeah. in my opinion, as a, as a guy, would be around for five years, and you, you hope you get all five out of them.
4: Yeah, and, and that's certainly an issue that I have with drafting older players. People call me ageist when it comes to the draft, but I, I mean, it's Good just the way it works in the NFL, right? Like, generally, if players come into the NFL older there's still an adjustment period. That's a big concern with Devontae Wyatt. That was why he was such a divisive pick on Bengals Twitter for Bengals fans, when you're or Bengals analysts, or whoever you ask, is because he's 24. And yeah, he was great, but he wasn't great until he had immense talent around him, and was two to three ages older than much of his competition. So, could be a really good player, and I don't mean to just, like, rip Devontae Wyatt, but that that's the whole thing with age
3: at, at any position, really. I think people who are crossover baseball and football fans put more weight onto the uh, onto the age thing, because in, in the uh, basically any representation of minor league baseball statistics, that does not include age and yeah. what birthday, not just age as of July 1st <laughs> is complete crap to me. I yeah. mean, just, it's it's uh, it's it's completely useless. I, I grew up in an era and I'm 59 now. Where the the Dominican players were all coming through um, Epi Guerrero, and they had a routine lying system of backing backtracking their ages by two, three, or even four years, and you didn't you had no idea what you had. So these guys like Junior Felix were really four years older than they said they mm-hmm. were, and they're they're playing in the major leagues at twenty. We one one thing that I find really funny today is it's hard to get good birthday data on college players. They don't always put it in the media guide for the teams. Now, I know the the, the Beast guide, which I haven't got yet, I need to do that, uh, has it? There's one other place I found okay. this
4: year that was quite good, which is, I think, Rise and Draft? Riseanddraft.com draft database.
3: I am noting it right now.
4: They They, I think, had a really good list of birth dates and just looking at next year already like they have pretty solid birth date data for quarterbacks like all the way down 20 players deep and we're pretty early in the process obviously for next year so they I think did a pretty good job of filling those in as the year went on same for edge like they have birth dates for a lot of these edge guys already
3: so that's a good one it'd be an interesting time with college uh, players now able to get compensated I don't know what that's going to mean for them having agents earlier and whatnot but I'd hate to think that there would be negotiating up front about what birth date is printed in media guides that the teams do. But I wouldn't put it past them because any agent is going to represent that player you know, at draft time is going to understand they have a lot more value with a player who's a year younger.
4: Well, what about players having to take pay cuts to go be a rookie in the NFL?
3: I'm sorry, I'm missing exactly the reference here.
4: Well, if, if their NIL deal is strong enough that they're making $10 million or something a year
3: for a couple oh, of years oh, gotcha. in college, okay. and
4: then they go to a rookie contract and they're a second-round pick or something.
3: Yeah, they're gonna have to, they'll have to figure out how to balance that, I guess. We, we probably will see more senior seasons out of that. that that's, that's what I'm thinking. Will people stay
4: in school longer because, because the money is better? That'll be an interesting dynamic. All right. Probably for those players that are making that much money at that point in their careers, they're probably going to be early draft picks and they'll probably go chase the NFL money. But, yeah, but there, it wouldn't surprise be... me if the CBA has to adjust for this in some way
3: in the so future. It'd be, it'd be some players at Notre Dame and some of the really big programs, maybe Alabama, who have the opportunity for a fourth year and, and are well-known national stars already. So A lot of those guys come out anyway.
4: But yeah, yeah if the money is, yeah, it'll be interesting.
3: Okay, so let's let's go around the positional groups and we can do this a little faster here for others. So we've you've been really good about giving time here and I appreciate that tonight. But uh, maybe talk about Joe Burrow just a little bit in terms of what he needs to improve on in in his uh, third year, I guess now. Right.
4: Yeah. As much as the nerds like to talk about it being Joe Burrow's fault that he takes sacks, it is a little bit his fault that he takes some of the sacks he takes from a film study perspective. I don't think it's like 50 of his 70 sacks are his fault. But there certainly are some that are his fault. And as he's pointed out, some sacks are worse than other sacks. And so that is certainly something, I think, for him to to improve this year. And there were times when he 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 would occasionally see something he hasn't seen before. I am thinking that having a year to fully prepare instead of rehabbing his knee this off season, instead of coming off a COVID off season in his rookie year, he has a full year as a pro now to develop in this off season. And, and this team's going to be a lot more confident. So excited to see him behind the offensive line. That's been revamped excited to see him with a one year older Jamar chase and T Higgins, not to mention Tyler Boyd, of course, who continues to be steady, but the older receivers who I'm sure we're going to talk about just a little bit, um, Great group of skill players, improved offensive line, more experience for Burrow. The kind of quarterback he is, I would expect him to continue to, to push the envelope there. There could be some statistical regression because the last time a quarterback led the league in completion percentage in yards per attempt was Drew Brees, and it just doesn't happen very often. Usually those things don't go hand in hand, but um, I'm excited to see how his brand of quarterbacking develops a year separated from the knee because he got way more evasive as he got healthier and, I think, more confident as he got healthier. And I'm, I'm going to be curious to see if the Bengals were more confident in putting the game in his hands, which early in the season in particular, to their detriment, sometimes they didn't, and that
3: cost them at times. All right. Uh, it, it's, it's some interesting points on Burrow there. One of the things about statistical regression is there at least – have one factor, if they can control sacks a little better, if they could just control offensive line play in general, give a little bit better protection, that, that's at least there. not every factor has to be negative. Lamar Jackson coming off his MVP year with 36-6 and, and and all the things, I mean, there was nowhere to go but down. Uh, he'd had one of the greatest seasons in NFL history, and, and people are saying, and he's only going to get better. Well, no, not statistically he's not. Uh, one thing I'm interested about in terms of Burrow is what sort of an off-season Um, position-specific skills program he's gone through. Does he have a guru like Jackson does in terms of throwing? Yeah, he works with
4: Jordan Palmer and has worked with Jordan Jordan Palmer, I think, since his pre-draft process. He goes out there and and does some mechanics work every year. He had a bigger transition, bigger uh, mechanics overhaul going into last season, coming off the knee, kind of redid his base throwing. And, And this year I expect it to be smaller changes but you can go look at the way he threw the ball last year and then compare it to the way he threw the ball as a rookie and it looks significantly different to me. I'm uh, not expecting that level of changes here but Jordan Palmer has all the cool toys. Like he's got you throwing on a on a pad that detects where your weight is at different parts of your delivery and and breaks it down all these parts into different different segments so you can work on different parts of your motion and so that, that's, I think, the, the primary position-specific stuff he does, but the guy's a workaholic, too. Like, he doesn't yeah. take days off. He travels with his trainer. He went out to Vegas with Jesse Bates and Enchidobe and, and for, for, for UFC a couple weeks ago, in case you guys missed it. And, uh, one, Cheeto said they played chess together while they were in Vegas, which I thought was funny. Joe Burrow is the only chess player in the Bengals locker room that stands up to Cheeto. And, uh, two, he travels with his trainer. Like some of the his last press conference before OTAs is like, yeah, I bring my trainer with me for all these trips so that I'm always I'm always working.
3: Does anybody have something to say about that? Because there's other quarterbacks in the division who might want a rotating trainer or masseuse. Let's a- say <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just so, uh, it's one of the funny things that keeps coming up this off season is, that, you know, why would you have anybody but one person touch your yeah, body? And, and right. you know, he travels with his trainer. That sounds more like the natural <laughs> relationship for an athlete to have with their uh with their trainer. All Certainly right. more professional. Leave that alone, right? Uh, let's move on to the wide receiver group. Obviously, one of the best in football.
4: Yeah, I think the best in football, but I, I understand that this is a topic of some debate. I think that Jamar Chase, at what, what he did at 21 was incredibly impressive, showed off route running prowess that I don't think was expected by many, did have some drop issues. Don't expect the drop issues to be something that is a, a chronic thing for him, wasn't really a thing at LSU. There was that one weird concentration drop where he just had his hands in the wrong place, I think, in the national championship game, if not the semifinal. I don't remember which game it was, um, where there's like a perfectly thrown pass and he just has his hands a foot to the right of where the ball is and just misses the ball. That was weird. Had like one of those, I think, with the Bengals. But the, the combination of his ability to win vertically along the sideline and the connection with Joe Burrow in terms of being thrown open at the last minute and, and getting some of those back shoulder completions, with his ability after the catch, with his ability to dominate press, makes him exciting. And, and the fact that he did it at 21, there's obviously a way to go besides up for him just because he was so good. But in ter- from, from a statistical perspective, but you would expect that the finer elements of his game will improve. And, and I, you would expect some technical development from year one to year two. You generally see that for wide receivers. Yeah, I'd,
3: I'd expect technical development, but 11.4 yards per target is just out of this world. And and it's it's to put that in perspective, it's a third of a yard better than any Ravens receiver or, or any any Ravens pass catcher in their history. Mark Andrews' rookie year was was the best ever at 11.04, and he did it in what almost twice as many targets. Mm -hmm. as Andrews did, so it has a lot more value to it. Uh, I I would expect that number in particular to go down. I I would think if he can maintain 10 yards per target, that would be terrific. It'll be interesting, right, because he,
4: he for some period of time, was leading the league in average depth of target and yards after catch, which those two things don't go together. And he ended up very high on both of those leaderboards because, uh, you know, Marlon Humphrey couldn't tackle him that one time. That mm-hmm. that was a lot of yards <laughs> after. Yeah, good.
3: he was he was a lot to the Ravens secondary in terms of that eleven point four yards per target. That's for sure. Yeah,
4: yeah, you have massive games against the Ravens, and it'll be fun to watch them battle with the Ravens being healthier in their secondary at least for now going into the season and and a different defensive coordinator, maybe a different approach, maybe not recklessly blitzing Joe Burrow and leaving guys on islands with Jamar Chase as much. We'll see if that changes or not, but. Um, T Higgins I think under heralded, missed some time last year was battling battling an injury all year for many teams I think will be a wide receiver one and was really good in the playoffs really productive in the playoffs finally started winning those contested ball situations that he was so good at at Clemson and wasn't as good at as a rookie again young player came into the league at 21 I believe and has added strength in his he gets open, too, for his size. Like, he moves, I think, again, under-heralded. He moves very well for a massive receiver with with the size he brings. So good in contested situations. I think a, a really smooth mover for his size. And I, I think on other teams would, would show out a lot more than he's he's got the opportunity to just because he's sharing targets with so many skilled players, because we haven't even talked about Tyler Boyd, who's probably one of the 10 best slot receivers in football, just very
3: reliable. will get to him in just a second. So mm-hmm. four, 14 games and 110 targets. Would you expect that targets per game to increase from there? Because that's a lot of targets. For, from what I remember for T. Higgins,
4: it, they, they featured him a lot later in the year, but early in the year. It was, yeah, so like he he missed some time early in the year mm-hmm. and then there was a stretch of games, including the playoffs where there there were some there was like a 14 target game, 13 target game, mm-hmm. nine target game, nine target game in the playoffs. And a lot early in the season, I think more five to five to six with a couple of, of bigger spikes in there. I think that there will probably be more targets. For this offense, if for no other reason, then they should convert more first downs with the improvements on the offensive line. They weren't very good at converting first downs uh, in in 2022. I think that'll be a point of emphasis. So maybe not a, a large degree more, but I don't necessarily see that number coming down. I think that he and Jamar Chase are the featured wide receivers, the featured receiving threats on this offense.
3: All right. Well, that certainly makes sense. Uh, and uh, go ahead and talk
4: about Boyd. Yeah, Boyd. Um, the, the first things that come to mind are unfortunately negative, so I'll just go back in time a little bit further to just uh, a really efficient wide receiver. First drop of the year was in, uh, in over a year was in the Super Bowl. That's why I say negative things come to mind. Went the wrong way on an option route in the playoffs, I think, in the Super Bowl as well. Uh, that... Also comes to mind, unfortunately, these are mistakes that he generally doesn't make. Like I said, hadn't had to drop in a a really long time. Generally, incredibly efficient at converting first downs. And I think will be a safety blanket to some degree, depending on Hayden Hurst fit with the Bengals. Um, Early in the year, the game that I attended when I got out to Cincinnati, because I don't get to go to a lot of games, I don't live in Cincinnati was against Jacksonville in week four and it was just option routes for Tyler Boyd the entire game and he just killed Jacksonville on choice routes. Um, On on Haas-Wai-Juke actually specifically and they went away from that and I think he's really good there and so I don't think he'll have the targets that Jamar Chase or T. Higgins have. I do think that it will be a stretch to see all three guys put up 1,000 yards, which was one of the conversation topics last year. But I also wouldn't be shocked if it happened. It's hard to do. It's very it's gotta hard healthy, to do. got to be healthy
3: for starters.
4: Yeah, it needs to be healthy. It needs to be enough targets to go around because Boyd definitely is, is doing fewer targets and fewer yards on those targets because of the nature of the slot position.
3: So Boyd got 94 targets this last year, and he did uh, hammer out 8.8 yards per target, but it'd be very hard with 94 targets for Boyd to get 1,000 yards. He really would need to go up to 115 or so to have a, a good chance at it.
4: Yeah, and and I don't know if those targets are coming for him. I would be surprised. I mean, he's a very valuable receiver, but is simply not going to have as many opportunities as the very skilled outside guys they have.
3: All right, maybe talk about the running backs a little bit and then we'll and then we'll move over to the defense.
4: I don't know how much there is to say about the running backs to be honest. Like Joe Mixon is still Joe Mixon. He's a still he he's still the the good vision, really good one cut, acceleration can make your angles bad. At times is easier to tackle than he appears that he should be at times is very slippery. Um that's a one part of his game. I wish was more consistent, but I think he's a very good running back as far as a pure runner. The Bengals don't trust him as a as a pass walker, that I don't think will change. And so his involvement in the receiving game is limited, unfortunately, because I think he's actually a dynamic receiver. He just doesn't get those opportunities with the Bengals. So Perine, Pirine, I think, will be challenged for his RB2 job, although he did have some major clutch plays for the Bengals. I think that uh, it'll be really interesting to see how Chris Evans, who is an athletic Absolute freak, tested very similarly to Jamar Chase, who the Bengals drafted last year, I think in the sixth round. Got some opportunities this year, had a target in the Super Bowl that should have been a touchdown if he was a little bit more experienced and maybe a little bit more comfortable uh, with adjusting some things on the fly. Just little things, right? But has the athleticism and size to be both a running back and a dynamic receiving player. And when he did have opportunities to pass block, which are few and far between. I thought he was really good in that capacity. So I do expect to see Chris Evans get a bit of an expanded role, especially with the wide receiver four position being a little bit questionable for the Bengals. It might be that Chris Evans, if they do need to get an extra guy on the field to to spell somebody, a wide receiver, if they have an injury, that might be more opportunities for Chris Evans in the receiving game as well. So,
3: Did they have some Tony on the field last year with with two tailback-type sets like Washington has sometimes or some other teams? Very infrequently.
4: And it doesn't seem like something that the Bengals are terribly interested in featuring, but, you know, just to wrap up thoughts on running backs, I think we know who Joe Mixon is. He's a guy he's been. Excited to see him behind a better offensive line. So Majay Piran I think we'll see less of this year. And Chris Evans, I think, we'll see more of. And I'm excited to see what Chris Evans can do with
3: the skill set he brings. All right, outstanding. Let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball and maybe talk about the defensive line first. And uh, Bengals still run a 4-3, right? No, not really.
4: They're generally in a 5-2 front on base downs in, in passing situations. They will be in something resembling a traditional 4-3, but might have a guy standing up. Sam Hubbard might move around. Trey Hendrickson might. No, Trey Hendrickson's generally got his, his hand in the ground. Sam Hubbard is a guy they like to move around. Joseph Osai, who Bengals fans are very excited for because he was fantastic against Tampa before he tore his pec and went on IR for the season in the preseason last year. So that'll be really fun. And DJ Reader, as I mentioned earlier, just absolutely underrated, makes the defensive line go in so many ways, lets the Bengals go light in the box and covers things that he should not be able to cover, like the ability for him to get to gaps he shouldn't be able to get to and affect running plays in ways that not very many players in the NFL can do does give Lou Anarumo a lot of flexibility behind him. I think DJ Reader is one of the most important pieces to this defense, and that includes guys like Jesse Bates and Trey Hendrickson, who are maybe splashy or more well-known. But I think DJ Reader makes the front work. And I have major questions for this team at 3Tech, especially with... Uh, Larry Ogunjobi finally signing with his third AFC North team and going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Bengals didn't really address that position. They brought B.J. Hill back, which I think is is great. I think he was really good last year. I think it was a fantastic trade getting B.J. Hill for Billy Price. I mean, that's uh, and and a seventh round pick the Bengals got uh, in that trade for Billy Price. So I think they won that trade. I think B.J. Hill is a, a good, not great, not elite interior defensive lineman, but I'm glad he's on the team and. I think there's some cohesion here. I do worry a little bit about the pass rush if Trey Hendrickson gets hurt, because Trey Hendrickson is the havoc creator, as as a pass rusher. And there's really no one else. Sam Hubbard does have a relatively high sack count per year if you look at his career, but he's not creating those with pass rush wins, you know, quick wins the way that guys like, right. you know, Von Miller, Khalil Mack do it. He's winning on hustle. He's winning on cleanup sacks. Very good player, extremely good against the run, but pass rushing-wise, I think, leaves something to be desired. So looking for a step from Joseph Osai there, looking for somebody else to emerge, and I do have some, some depth concerns on the interior of the defensive line in general and for the pass rush after Trey Hendrickson.
3: All right. All right. Hendrickson contributed. Ravens contributed to Hendrickson's sack total with a couple last year. Uh, might be a little bit different with, with Ronnie Stanley back at, at left tackle. We'll see. Hendrickson typically lines up at right defensive end, right? As I recall, not too much at left defensive end. He, he's almost exclusively playing over the left tackle.
4: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right, very and, good. And, and, and that'll be a fun battle. Excited to see him get some opportunities against uh, some, some good tackles. Did have a very fun battle with uh, Trent, uh, Trent Williams in San Francisco last year. So that was fun.
3: All right. All right. Uh, let's move back to the linebacking group. And Logan Wilson has been a Raven killer uh, for a lot of his uh, fairly brief career. But uh, talk, about, talk about all the other off-ball linebackers. Yeah, Logan Wilson, I think, is good.
4: I think he's just a good player. Jermaine Pratt is still – he's just so up and down Is Jermaine Pratt. Some games he looks Fantastic was really good in the playoffs, but in other games looks out of place. And so we'll, we'll see what Jermaine Pratt has. I wouldn't be shocked if they are trying to get an extension done with Pratt, who's going into the last year of his deal. But I I, I wouldn't necessarily expect it. It just wouldn't shock me if that were to, to occur. Akeem davis Gaither is a guy that I was really excited for when they drafted him. They drafted him around after Logan Wilson. In 2020, great athlete, fun player, was an overhang linebacker at Appalachian State. So a huge transition to a position that he did not play because overhang linebacker is not as common in the NFL, not as common in the Bengals defense, and to an incredibly high level of competition coming from Appalachian State. So... Uh, has had some injury issues needs to stay on the field but excited to see how he has developed and, and where he's at the rest of the guys are kind of just guys are just good depth I think Marcus Bailey for a seventh round pick is really good depth and Joe Bacci filled in admirably at times for a waiver claim at linebacker they were really injured at this position last year Logan Wilson like I said coming back from that shoulder injury torn labrum I believe in the shoulder to play in the playoffs and has had that corrected but I think I feel solid about the Bengals group of linebackers. I wouldn't necessarily feel say I feel like they're top of the league players, but it's not like I'm worried about them. And there was a long time when I was worried about the Bengals linebackers getting exposed. And, and that doesn't
3: really exist with these guys as much. I think it's a solid group. All right. Well, that 2020 draft was a big one. The Ravens, of course, drafted. Uh, Patrick Queen at number twenty eight and Malik Harrison at number ninety eight in the middle. Logan Wilson went to the Bengals at number sixty-five. So um I would say as it stands right now, it looks like the Bengals are winning on that one. Patrick Queen could come back, but uh but is certainly fighting for his fifth year option to be picked up at this point.
4: Well and, and you can also go back even a year before to, to the Devons, Devin Devin yeah. White, Devin Bush in Pittsburgh, who's had his own struggles. Yep. Uh, and that was the Jermaine Pratt draft. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a solid group of players there at linebacker.
3: Really, one of the one of the bane's of the Ravens' recent drafts has been that that the they needed inside linebacker at the peak of inside linebacker overvaluation in the draft. The two Devons are really the 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 absolute peak of that. With the Steelers mm-hmm. trading up to number ten to get Bush and White going at number five, but all the guys who went in twenty uh were all overvalued relative to where they were and how NFL ready they were so yeah i mean i i, I even thought logan wilson
4: was a guy the bengal's would pick in the 4th round mm-hmm. that year i mean they were picking at the top of each round but you know it, it is what it is i think they they got it right there i think he's a good player
3: yeah Alrighty, uh we haven't really talked about the we did talk about the cornerbacks a little when we talked about hill but go ahead and let's go through those again and and then talk about the back end
4: yeah, Cheeto and Mike Hilton, Jinobe it was fantastic. I think another underrated player in this defense. I think he had like one notably tough game in the playoffs that maybe people are holding against him. But I thought he was really impressive and I was excited when they signed him. I think they have him on a steal of a deal as well. He he was dealing with a defensive change in Dallas, dealing with injury, but has always been a good athlete and i think that showed up i think he was really good i'm excited to see him again this year mike hilton i'm going to be interested to see if he blitzes more had a chance to talk to mike hilton uh both before the super bowl and at uh on on our podcast on locked on bengals and we talked to him about blitzing and whether he would like to kind of reprise his role as a feared slot blitzer that he did so much in Pittsburgh because his blitz rate like cut in half Mm -hmm. going to Cincinnati. And he was better in coverage than I think he has been or had been in Pittsburgh. But I would like to see that that slot blitz weapon be deployed a little bit more because he's really good at it when he gets the opportunity. And I think he needs those opportunities to be really good at it. So I think it goes hand in hand. Those two are
3: set in stone. Sorry, go ahead. I just meant, is he a a good B.C. gap choice guy from the slot? Because the Ravens have had a number of those over the years in in terms of guys who could, who just kind of instinctively knew, or maybe it's actually part of the play design also, you can't rule that out, when that defensive end was able to fan out the tackle that they were able to either get underneath or get wide as needed.
4: I don't know how much I've seen of that specifically. That's a really good question, though, and it's something that I'll pay more attention to. I feel like, and and I didn't go back and watch what he did in Pittsburgh as much. I, I just know of his reputation in Pittsburgh and, and their highlights, and you can see the productivity numbers, but that that, that is a good question. I. I don't have a very good answer for you, unfortunately.
3: All right. And and the back end, uh, obviously the strongest position. I want to go back to why Jesse Bates is not going to be a Bengal no way, no how come 2023. Are you just trying to prepare yourself or did the Bengals really not have the, the capital necessary to sign Bates to a long-term deal?
4: Well, uh, real quick before we do Bates, and then I'll answer your question. Eli Apple, Cam Taylor Britt battling it out for the other outside corner spot. We talked a little bit about that when we talked about Cam Taylor Britt, of course. But... Uh, Eli Apple, I think a little bit better than people think he is because he talks so much on Twitter, but <laughs> you could definitely stand to improve. I, I think he was solid for them last year, though, for for their second quarter. So anyway, Jesse Bates uh, won't be a Bengal in 2023 because he's threatening to hold out this year and doesn't want to play on the franchise tag. I think will be alienated. I think there's a massive gulf between Bates and the Bengals in terms of negotiating the long-term deal, I think Jesse Bates is looking for top-of-market money, and I think the Bengals are arguing that he hasn't been an all-pro, and he hasn't been a pro bowler, and he wasn't very good in the regular season last year, even though he was great in the playoffs, and I think they're maybe, see, they maybe are offering him you know, top-ten safety money, not trying to reset the market. and Really? The agent for Jesse Bates is a guy that's looking for top-of-market money. And so I think that there's a really big gap between Jesse Bates and the Bengals. And I think it's unfortunate. I think they should have gotten the extension done last year before the market reset. And and maybe they weren't close last year either. But that's been one of the bigger surprises in recent years for me for the Bengals is the non-retention of Jesse Bates. And I think that just the ship has probably sailed at this point, barring some surprise. We're recording this on Thursday night, barring some surprise in the next 24 hours or less than 24 hours with the deadline coming up on Friday, tomorrow, from the time we recorded this. I'd be shocked if if they get that done and, and that Jesse Bates is around in
3: the future. OK, so the next time they're allowed to negotiate after the shutdown here is when? After the year resets? I think it would. Yeah, I think it's it's Next off season, yeah. Okay, so, so they only have five days or something before the free agency period starts. Then, correct, or or it's some relatively short period. Yeah, I'm not. Sh-
4: I, I don't remember currently. I always have to brush up on sure. the the rules for when players can be signed in in the winter. But there there will be an opportunity for them to negotiate next off season. I just would be very surprised if anything comes to fruition. They might tag him again.
3: OK, so you have a second tag and, and that's a, another 20 percent raise if they do that.
4: Yeah, it would be it would be more expensive. But for Jesse Bates, he was a second round player. And so sure. I'm a little bit surprised that he's threatening to hold out because it didn't end well for Le'Veon Bell. And that's the only real example of a franchise player holding out
3: that we have. OK, I mean, Le'Veon Bell a running back. Jesse Bates probably has a lot longer runway on his career yeah. than Le'Veon did. I, I, I'd hope so for you guys anyway, or hope so for whoever gets him.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. It's it's just, you know, it, it does damage, I think, players' reputation in the eyes of the league. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think him holding out a year's – it would be really interesting to see what contract you get after that. Uh, it would uh, be a cool case study if it happens. Also, Orlando Brown yep. over in Kansas City. Like, if these guys actually follow up on these threats to hold out,
3: it would be really interesting. All right. Well, I mean, uh, the, the the traditional way, I guess, has been to come back at the end of the year is you get credit for the year at some point, and then you get a reduced... You, you don't earn your money for the games. I don't think... It, yeah, there's there's like a deadline.
4: I don't remember if it's week 10 yeah. or a little bit after week 10, but there is a deadline that, they're, that they have to show up by, but you're giving up so much money if you're Jesse Bates. Like, he would earn more money this year than he's earned in his entire career, and mm-hmm. it's like by magnitude, so... It'd be very surprising. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he skips camp and shows up in week one because he hasn't signed the deal, so he's not getting fined for missing days of camp, I think. I, I'm pretty sure that's how it works. And he could avoid losing any pay by showing up for week one.
3: Yeah. It and, and actually more, makes more sense, I think, for a running back to do it given the risk-reward relationship because they really need their money now, 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 now. Mm-hmm. Is there, they're in danger every play. Jesse Bates is in less danger by playing the season of having some injury that ends his career. Yeah. Okay. Definitely, Jake, just outstanding to have you on here. And we, we're not going to ask for record predictions or anything. We, we It'll right. be a good divisional battle. The the uh, handicappers seem to have it pretty even right now. Uh, and uh, we'll see how it works out. And we'd love to have you on at least once for a Know Your Foe episode during the season. We'll have somebody else on for the other one, uh, just for a little variety. But uh, really appreciate you coming on and, and giving us your time. You mean you don't
4: wanna talk about the battle for best kicker in the NFL between Justin Tucker and Evan? I'm just kidding.
3: I'm just kidding. We're we're a few years away from that one. We're a few years away from you dropping the topic permanently, I'm sure. Actually, you know, we just we just did a special team show tonight and, and one of the one of the real questions for the Ravens is whether or not the, the you know Stout, the new punter, is gonna be able to replace a Hall of Fame holder. And it dodged a bullet with another good long snapper last year. But uh, but it is a real question. It's a very legitimate question whether or not uh, this guy is going to be a good holder. I think he'll be a fine punter.
4: Those, those same questions exist for the Bengals who have a guy that they really like Pushing Kevin Huber, who's been holding for them since two thousand nine. Wow! And Clark Harris, who's been a, a Bengal since two thousand nine. They 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 got the top uh, top long snapper supposedly in the draft. And Cal Adamitis, but Cal Adamitis, I think from Pitt, is much smaller than Clark Harris,
3: and that's been very apparent early he, on. So he's a UDFA guy, but but they got him. He, he was available this offseason, right? Or did they actually draft him? Cal
4: Adamitis was assigned as a college free agent by the Cincinnati okay. Bengals after the draft. Yeah. But was consensus the top long snapper for coming out of college this year?
3: Yeah. Gotcha. OK.
4: So some some interesting special team stuff for sure. But it's not as compelling as the rest of the game of football.
3: Yeah. No, definitely uh, entertaining and great conversation. Jake, really appreciate having you on. I'll just say for for oh, first of all, Jake, tell folks where they can find your work.
4: Yeah. uh, Locked on Bengals is the podcast on which I talk about the Bengals five days a week for most of the year. We're starting back up to five days a week here with training camp, uh, the the advent of training camp in late July. And then we're five days a week throughout the season. And you can find me on Twitter just at Jake Lisko. If for some reason your lovely Ravens fan listeners would like to come talk some trash that I will not engage with.
3: I I don't think it's all about talking trash. People like to stay informed within the AFC North. And and hopefully you don't feel like this is a a trash talking show. There might be a little bit of ribbing, but this is the NPR of football talk. Yeah. No, that's why I like it so much. That's why I come back. I really appreciate having you on, Jake. Anyway, other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. I'm looking for 25-minute topics. Uh, Although, if it runs long and it's this quality discussion, no problem. Uh, But anyway... Try and keep the topic narrow is the key, and hit me up with that DM. I'll get back to you really quickly. Jake, thanks again for having you on. Always a pleasure to talk football with you. Anytime. Let's do it again. And we'll talk to you next time on Filmstar.